Hello, everyone. This is Andy Younger, your co-host of Running Dialogue, and I am flying solo today as I introduce Dr. Matt Sardelli, an orthopedic surgeon at McLaren Flint, as well as Ortho Michigan. Dr. Sardelli is certified in sports medicine, and I had a great conversation with him during the 10 Days of Crim in August of 2020. We talked a lot about race preparation and uh, training because he has seen firsthand a lot of the effects of overtraining or training improperly for races. And he has a lot of great advice. And as we get into the fall racing season, even though there aren't a ton of races, there are at least some for for folks to do. And I'm sure some of you are looking forward to them. Uh, He's got some great advice on how to keep yourself healthy, keep yourself injury free and not overworked, especially as you get into the winter. We want to make sure that we're injury free we don't want to have any excuse to uh, to stop running or walking. And Dr. Sardelli has a lot of wonderful information for us. So without further ado, here's my interview with Dr. Matt Sardelli of McLaren Flint. Welcome to Running Dialogue, a podcast where we talk about all things running. For first timers, casual runners and elites, we invite you to listen and contribute to our running dialogue. Welcome to Running Dialogue. We are in the midst of our 10 days of crim, and I'm so excited to feature one of our longest time partners and sponsors, McLaren Flint, who has been for decades our 10-mile race sponsor of the crim. And very excited to have Dr. Matthew Sardelli with us, who is the chair of the Department of Orthopedic Surgery at McLaren Flint. And Dr. Sardelli is a sports medicine specialist and also uh, one of the surgeons at Ortho Michigan. Dr. Sardelli, welcome Thanks for having me, Alistair. It's great to be here. Great, great. And um, so you have been, how long have you been with McLaren? So I've been with McLaren uh, for 10 years now. Um, I work uh, in the group named Ortho Michigan, and we are the orthopedic partner for McLaren Flint. That's great. That's great. Uh, So I imagine that you see a lot of runners and walkers. So ortho, you're focused on on tendons and bones and and cartilage. Is that right? Is that is that an easy way to put it? That's a great way of putting it. Yes. And I'm happy to see them. It just shows how active the population is. It makes me happy. Well, that's great. That's wonderful. Yeah. So so. In, in working with that, with our community, what, what are the most common types of injuries that you see among runners and walkers? Yeah, great question. Um, the most common types of injuries that I see tend to be overuse injuries, whether that be shin splints or tendonitis. Um, occasionally, we will see stress fractures if people have been overtraining, um, but it's usually the, the common tendonitis type problems um, that we see because of uh, the fact that with running, it's it's long distances, and so it's an overuse type injury. Yeah, and I, I can only imagine all the heads nodding as they're here, as listeners are hearing this and thinking about about the uh, the instances in their own lives and their own training where they've had some of those uh, tendonitis is very common, shin splints, and uh, and I know number of people who have dealt with stress fractures. Absolutely. So, so as a, as a orthopedic surgeon, what, what are some of the more common ways that you actually treat some of those ailments? 
So, Alistair, it really comes down to basics. Um, you know, we always are going to recommend a period of rest if someone presents with an overuse type injury. Um, it's never uh, a comfortable conversation. Most runners want to keep running. <laughs> and so right. to tell them uh, that they have to shut it down for a period of four to six weeks um, is, is a difficult conversation to have. But, but I'll oftentimes encourage them to cross train in some way uh, to keep their cardiovascular health uh, up to speed, whether that be cycling or swimming, something uh, typically low impact. Um, but you really have to stop and allow the body to heal. So uh, Motrin, ice, and then of course, uh, taking a break from running is, is always the first step. Yeah, yeah, and, and I'll tell you, I, I know more people who went kind of from, from truly couch to 5K to half marathon in such, and, and when they discovered this love of running that they had, that they, they didn't want to stop and they wanted to keep pushing themselves. And one of the, one of the things that I've, I've, I've seen is a good friend of mine actually was almost unable to walk for a while after she did her half marathon, but it was within the span, a very short time span after having done her first ever 5k. And, and, and you could really see how that overtraining and that pushing too hard is, is doing a lot of damage. And so uh, I'm curious, like, is there a, a time span in, or, or, a, or a way that runners can increase their their training. Um, I, I love the idea of cross training, but I mean, w- when it comes to increasing distance and getting ready for the next challenge, is there sort of a, 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 a rate at which they should be increasing their distance? Yeah, that's another great question. Um, And I think in some ways, it's a difficult question to answer because it can be individual. There's certainly people with different abilities when it comes to running. Um, But for the most part, I think we're looking at at least six to 12 weeks before you make that leap from like a 5k to a 10k. Um, you're going to want to give yourself at least six weeks and, and again, at most 12. So really a three month jump where you're saying, okay, I just completed a 5k. Uh, I see on the horizon, you know, now we're in the month of August here, Krim right around the corner. Uh, I see that there's a 10k coming up around Thanksgiving. I'm going to give myself these next three months to really ramp up my mileage, uh, and get ready for that. That makes sense. So I'm, I'm doing a little bit of math. It almost sounds like uh, a mile a month is probably the safer way to do it. Um, that's a great way of thinking of it. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Thanks. Um, so th- that's one thing, sort of easing your time into it. But are there other things that we can be doing to prevent some of those injuries in the first place? Um, yeah. The question I ask myself is, what am I doing wrong or what am I not doing? Is it how I train? Is it, is it my form? Is it my shoes? What, what, uh, what, can, what, can, what are we doing wrong and what should we be doing right? Yeah, another great question. Um, so I think most of us uh, who see these types of injuries are always going to stress the basics, right? Making sure you're properly staying hydrated prior to your run, making sure that you're doing all the stretching that you need to be doing. Uh, it's amazing to me, the, the fitness industry, how it's exploded. And now there's 
KT tape that people will put on. Mm. There's foam rollers, and and these are all excellent means to keep you training. So basic stretching and hydration. But I think something that goes under the radar sometimes is is proper shoe wear. Mm. Uh, and mm. there's multiple running stores that you can go to for an assessment. Um, but really understanding that shoe wear plays a huge role uh, in running, and really you should be looking at your shoes on a yearly basis to see if you need to to upgrade, especially if you're one of these high mileage types of people. Absolutely. Well, and, and I have found um, a couple of important rules. I mean, the first one is style, you have to throw style out when it comes to running shoes. They just, you know, they, they in my opinion, they're, they're almost never like super good looking or, or, you know, made to accessorize. This isn't an accessory. This is a, this is the, the foundation on which you should build the rest of your running gear for one thing. Um, but also don't be married to a brand because what I've discovered is that a couple of things, first of all, they're all really good shoe brands. Although, you know, whether you're talking about Saucony, Nike, Saucony, Nike, Adidas, uh, you know, ultra that's mine. Um, but what I've noticed is that my feet have changed over time as I've gotten older and maybe run more and, you know, weights change things. And so, um, you know, just even the shape of my foot has, has changed. So you have to, like you said, uh, at least once a year assess, is this still the right shoe for me? So yeah, that's, that's great advice. Yeah, most, most definitely. I I would highlight what you said there that, that it's, it's amazing how people's feet will change uh, as they age. And so what was correct for you, say five years ago is, is probably not anymore, especially if you've been running on a consistent basis. And so uh, again, you know, we're going to remember the basics that we learned when we were young. Okay. I need to stretch. Uh, I need to make sure that I ice afterwards, do a proper warm up, you know, those types of things. But, but I've always wanted to highlight, especially in my clinic, proper footwork can go a long way. Mm, that's yeah, it, absolutely. And uh, I, just a little anecdote: I have a a a friend of my wife's uh, was running and bought a pair of shoes that had more support. They were sort of a heavier duty. Um, shoe in terms of the support with the idea that she wouldn't have to buy a new pair uh, as frequently. And, and unfortunately that also turned out to be a very wrong approach. Yes. She really did a number on her feet because it was supporting her in the wrong places. <laughs> and uh, so, so I think we've, uh, we've since had some good conversations with her about how, how you actually get fitted and, and, uh, and find the right shoe for you. So, <laughs> it really, I, I can't stress enough how important that is. Um, want to shift gears a little bit, um, get, get a little bit more into what we're dealing with today. Uh, and, and my question to you is, how do we safely stay active in today's current situation with the coronavirus? You know, we're not getting together in teams or for practices, you know, whether we're athlete, you know, whether we're doing, um, you know, team sports or running, or, um, you know, we're, we're not necessarily able to train the same way we did before coronavirus hit and before all the safer at home orders were in. So, so I'm, I'm curious to know, you know, for you, I'd love to hear your advice on, on how we can find ways to stay safely active. And then also I'm, I'm curious to know, you know, how do you anticipate 
that that will affect our bodies and, and, and what you start seeing in terms of patients and things like that? Yeah, that's that's a really great question. What a what a unique t- year 2020 has turned out for all of us. Uh, and if you're used to training at a gym, well, the gyms aren't open. If you're used to maybe running in a group, maybe there are those that are not that comfortable running in teams. And so I think everybody's training as they get ready for the CRIM 2020 has been affected in some way. And I think we as, as sports medicine specialists, uh, orthopedic surgeons, really people involved in healthcare that are taking care of musculoskeletal disease, um, we're very concerned, Alistair. Um, there's pretty good data now to suggest that really whether you're a high school kid getting ready for football or you're getting ready for a major race like the CRIM, uh, it does take at least six weeks to reacclimate your body to a sport. Mm. And so uh, you asked, you know, what are ways in which people are training? Well, some people are investing in personal trainers and doing one-on-one training. Some people are doing videos. I know there's been a lot of places that have been offering Zoom training, you know, where you can get a stay at your house and complete a session, uh, even in your home. Even if you don't have any equipment, they can work out a routine for you to keep you physically fit. Because I think the biggest mistake that we're going to see is that people are going to say, well, here's a race. I think I'm ready. I don't know. But I, I, I maybe did the crim in 2019. Uh, I certainly played football last year. And I should be ready. And, and we're very concerned because if you don't allow your body to reacclimate and do some sort of training, uh, you're probably going to put yourself at risk for injuries. And, and I, I hate to be a downer because there's so much to be, uh, to be down about right now. We don't need anything else. But we, we are anticipating uh, that there might be an onslaught of musculoskeletal uh, tears and strains and sprains because people just aren't ready to get back to their sports. So I can't stress enough to your audience, uh, really take the time to allow your body to reacclimate to your sport and get yourself ready. You said four to six weeks, right? In terms of conditioning your body before you really get up to full speed. Is that right? Correct. That, you know, and, and I'll tell you just, uh, and I want to especially stress that to some of our, our younger listeners, uh, because I know just how, um, you know, having been younger and thinking and thought of myself as sort of this indestructible athlete at one point in my life and that, oh, yeah, I can I can stop for a few months and then hit, hit the ground running again uh, right where I was. And let me tell you that that. Does it, it doesn't work that way. I mean, what you're saying, Dr. Sardelli, is it, it rings so true in my own personal experiences. And so, so I really appreciate that advice. And I, I hope that uh, our listeners really do take that seriously, that, that if, you are, if you haven't had a chance to train the way you have in the past for whatever sport you're doing, whether it's running or, or football, like you said, or soccer, uh, give your, you've got to give yourself time in your body to, to get strong. Uh, I, I hope that our coach Coaches out there also understand that because that's uh, that's really important, especially for the for the long term health of our our, our athletes and our, our students. Um, so going back to the race, um, it, it's one thing for us to train and to train properly and, and follow all, all uh, 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 whatever routine we have. Um, 
but race day is always different. <laughs> we have more adrenaline. We're swept up by the crowds. Um, some of us are driven by some serious competition, whether it's with ourselves or other people. And, um, you know, and so, so that day, whatever, whatever race day, whether it's the crim or another day, you know, we tend to approach it differently than our training day. And I would love a typical training day. What I would love to hear from you is you know, what advice would you give runners and walkers for how to approach that race day? Uh, with ultimately the question being, how do we have a great race without beating up our bodies? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question and a great point. I think we all love the runner's high, right, mm -hmm. of, being, of being out there and being active, but we tend to forget there's also some anxiety on race day, um, whether that's uh, known or unknown to you, like I said, perceived or not perceived, it, it really is real. And so uh, you're breathing differently. You're maybe very excited to start the race and maybe you start off too quickly. Um, you know, the basics that I've always, uh, yeah. The basics that I've always recommended to people is just a couple things. Uh, make sure to take some deep breaths, right? Prior to racing, stay calm. Um, make sure that you've hydrated beforehand. I know um, there has been uh, some back and forth on this, but I think most healthcare professionals would agree something light but complex carbohydrate prior to the race. Um, I don't think you want to be having a big bowl of ice cream prior to the race. <laughs> Uh, but uh, something like a, like a granola bar, a complex carbohydrate, not, not something that's going to bog you down or fill you up, um, but, but something that's going to give you some energy long term. Um, and then uh, I've always recommended to people, and I know some in the audience may not, uh, may not like to hear this, but um, start off uh, slow and take it easy as you ease into the race you can make up time if you're really running for time you can make up time towards the middle or towards the end but i think if you come out of the gate uh too quickly and too uh, amped up uh you can pay for it uh, on the back end and, and we've seen that in some of uh in some of these races where people uh it's, it's a shame but they maybe came out too quickly and they literally can't finish um, because uh, they've they've just done something that they're not really used to, and it's because they were anxious. That that's such a great point, and I I've been that person. Uh, I my first half marathon, I was so excited, and I saw some friends, and I took off at a much faster pace, and I don't know about mile eight or nine, started feeling this this twinge in my hip that I'd never felt before. And by, by mile 11, 12, I was almost just hobbling and I did finish, but, but this, this group of friends caught up to me and then passed me. <laughs> and that also <laughs> wasn't a great feeling. So, uh, but it was, it was such a strong lesson. And the lesson was exactly what you said, which is take it easy at first, give your body a chance to warm up and, and you really do have to fight. It's, it's not just the adrenaline that's part of it but what i've found is um, it's even just the perspective of other racers around you and and you can easily get caught up with someone who's who's maybe just faster than you or maybe they're also taking it out too fast and and then and then it then you're not running your race you're running their race or walking their race and uh, and then it can really cause challenges and problems down the road you really got to be able to uh, run your race and, and when it comes down to it as far as what I've 
found is that it really is just experience. You've got to do a few of them, get that feeling of, of adrenaline and become a little more accustomed to it. Because um, it, it, and for one thing, it's, it's a ton of fun, a lot of, a lot of excitement that you get to experience. And, um, and then you get better at it because you're more familiar with that situation. So wonderful advice, Dr. Sardelli. Thank you. Yeah, no, I think, uh, I think everyone would do well to heed your advice and learn from your experience as well. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I'm, I'm good at uh, figuring out uh, what not to do and being the poster child for what not to do. <laughs> well, Dr. Sardelli, it has been a pleasure to talk to you. I've, I have learned a lot and I know our listeners have as well. And can't tell you how much I appreciate what you're doing for the running and walking community and what McLaren Flint is doing for the greater Flint community as, as one of our wonderful hospitals. And uh, whether it's for orthopedic and running and walking related uh, issues or, or any others and really appreciate everything that you do to make this a wonderful community and, and to help the, uh, the running and walking community and the CRIM community continue to thrive and keep putting those miles on. Well, thank you so much for having me. I've really appreciated it and good luck to everybody on race day. Indeed, good luck and uh, have a great race and we'll catch you next time.